I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about value about what customers value and about what you think they value and how the gap between the two is usually the size of the Mississippi River and how your startup ship will usually sink trying to sail across that gap. That metaphor really came together in real time. I'm gonna pretend that I planned it. We're gonna talk through a few frameworks and mental models to help you clearly understand what value looks like and how to align your product to deliver that value. It might sound straightforward, but it's anything but. As always, it's all about editing about finding the kernel of what actually matters and using every ounce of your might and resources to amplify that kernel and ignore everything else. It's hard, but it's straightforward. And to get into it, I've got to tell you a story I heard the other day that I absolutely loved. The only problem with the story, and it's not really that big of a problem, is that I can't remember where I heard it from. If you told me and you're listening to the pod and I butcher it, I'm sorry. Let me know and maybe I'll fix it up for next week. But I promise you I won't butcher the important parts. They were too good to forget. So here we go. There was a project assigned at a business school. I want to say it was at Stanford or Harvard, but that's the main detail I can't remember. I think this actually only works at Stanford or Harvard, so imagine it was one of those two. The halls filled with people talking about SWOT analysis and Porter's Five Forces and capturing value. It's probably a lot of khaki. Most people also probably sailed to class somehow. I'm kidding. We've got a bunch of Harvard and Stanford folks in Tacklebox, so I think I can make those jokes. Maybe. Anyway, the assignment was for the students in groups of four to make as much money as they possibly could in one week. At the end of the week, they get a two-minute slot to present what they did and how much money they made with the entire B-School class in attendance. There would be two awards, one for the most money made and one for the crowd favorite. Maybe a year ago, I did a podcast on something similar. I'll put it in the show notes. I loved that episode. The pod was about asking people in the Tacklebox cohort at the time to try and make $1,000 in a day and what happened when I did. The basic answer is that this hand-picked group of highly successful, capable founders with powerful, valuable, unique insights into important problems were suddenly telling me that they were going to set up a table in Union Square and sell brownies. One founder was mapping out the costs of eggs and canola oil and figuring out whether it was worth it to take the subway to the Costco and Astoria to buy them in bulk. There was even talk of a commercial kitchen. This founder's startup was B2B security software, by the way. And this is the reason I love the question, because people tend to be really bad at recognizing what's actually valuable about themselves or their business. And by value, I mean understanding what people will actually pay for. As you might imagine, this is a big problem for an entrepreneur as our lives kind of depend on people paying us for the things that we make. It's also something you get much better at recognizing with practice. The biggest difference between a first-time entrepreneur and a second-time entrepreneur is a second-time entrepreneur has already been smacked in the face with the frying pan that is trying to get someone to buy something from them. I'm not sure there's a better lesson on value on earth. People don't buy something unless they really want it. I give the make $1,000 a day challenge to lots of people, and basically no one takes me up on it. My favorite people to pose the challenge to are the people who send me the email we maybe get most frequently, which says something like, quote, 
I want to start a startup, but I don't have an idea I think is worth starting. What should I do? After I ask them the $1,000 question, they usually brainstorm live for a bit and move from the usual bake sale or car wash or whatever else until they realize it'd take forever to make $1,000 that way. And wouldn't it just be easier to get one person to pay them 1000 bucks, or maybe four people to pay them 250 bucks, And then things start to get interesting. A few months back, I was on one of these calls talking through the $1,000 question with a PhD that knew a ton about gut biomes and how they worked. This person was searching for an idea, maybe in the gut biome space, maybe something adjacent to it. Her first instinct to the $1,000 question was to teach people how to get into a good PhD program, which has a ton of value, but isn't really all that unique. Next, she realized that maybe she could get people with stomach problems on a 30-minute call and set a four-week diet plan for them to help them identify what food group was causing their stomach pain. You see, she said, most people who do elimination diets do them poorly. And most elimination diets don't actually work because they're structured wrong. They group the wrong foods together. So people get false negatives or false positives. And if you do the elimination diet correctly, the way that she knows how to do it, you can almost always isolate the food or group that irritates your stomach and get rid of it. We decided to run with the idea. She set up a website in about an hour. The header said, quote, you've tried elimination diets, but none cured that constant bloated feeling. Below that, it said, quote, your gut is complicated and elimination diets aren't one size fits all. Our 30 minute diagnostic call will set you up with a personalized four week program that'll find the food causing you all the trouble. No matter how long you've dealt with stomach pain, it'll be gone this day, next month. Then there was a description of her credentials. Calls were 250 bucks each, and in a half hour, she created a Calendly page to let people schedule and pay automatically. People weren't actually able to schedule a call for a couple of weeks, so she gave herself a bit of a buffer to build out the program. To get people to the page, she created a tweet thread on the gut and why traditional elimination diets didn't work for most people. Then she spent 250 bucks promoting it. We would have done an Instagram ad or some more niche channels, but those would have taken more time and the Instagram ads take 48 hours to approve and that was against the rules. So she decided to email 100 friends, BCC'd, with a short blurb that linked to the page. She asked them to email or text the page to their five closest friends and if they knew someone who had stomach problems, definitely pass it along. In 48 hours, she had nine calls lined up. That's $2,250 in the bank minus the 250 bucks she spent on the ad for a clean total of $2,000 in profit. It turns out that people really value speaking with an expert in gut health who will give them a plan to cure something that's really painful to them. Doing this exercise lets you know what you know that other people will actually pay for. Then your job as an entrepreneur is to build a business that packages that value up in an increasingly scalable way, to not get sidetracked, to go deep, not broad. I love the $1,000 challenge. In fact, I think you should all try it. Next week, make a thousand bucks from something that isn't your job. Then email me at team at gettacklebox.com and tell me what you did. Anyone who tries is going to get a free t-shirt. We made t-shirts, by the way, and they're great. Buttery soft. Even if you make zero dollars but try, I'll probably send you one because I love this stuff and I'm a softie. Okay, we got carried away there. Let's get back to Harvard slash Stanford. The teams went off with the goal of making as much money as possible in a week, and apparently some of them did pretty well. 
I forget the exact amounts they made, but I think it was hundreds of dollars for all sorts of things, from the usual SAT or GMAT tutoring service to matching students with companies alums had started to do freelancing, and I'm sure the time-honored B-School idea of let's rent out a bar and then charge people to attend said bar made an appearance. I think that group probably won the award for class favorite. But the group that made the most money didn't show up to the event. Instead, when it was their turn to present, a company looking to recruit business school students to fill open roles stood up there and gave a pitch as to why these students should join their company. Then they passed out cards to get in touch. It turns out they paid over $1,000 for that two-minute slot. The student group that won realized that the most valuable thing they possessed wasn't a skill of someone on the team. It was the two minutes of undivided attention from hundreds of smart and unemployed people. Maybe the most prestigious group of job-free agents you could find in America. On the open market, this would be tens of thousands of dollars, or more likely, just impossible. That is understanding value on both sides, the student side and the business side. And that is why I love the story. We'll get into frameworks to recognize value and to identify opportunities after a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. And now, it's time to talk about a magician. I bet you didn't see that coming. I've got a patio off the back of our apartment. Patio is probably giving it a little bit too much credit. It's like a seven by 10 foot rectangle off our 800 square foot apartment, which means it's not an insignificant portion of our space, which means we're out there a lot. It happens to overlook a park that all the local schools use for recess during the week. These schools are slotted into half hour blocks from maybe 9.30 in the morning until 3.30 in the afternoon, and the kids create a wall of screaming sound that I've just become accustomed to. But when I do Zoom calls from home, even with the sliding doors to the patio closed, people tend to get alarmed. The kids spontaneously break into random Let's Go Yankees chants, and every once in a while, they all decide to sing the chorus to that White Stripe song, which the first time I heard 78-year-old kids screaming, Da, 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 da. I really thought the world was ending. M. Night Shyamalan could never. Anyway, a few weekends ago, Ruby and I were out there drinking coffee when we saw that there was a birthday party in the park. And the parents of the birthday boy had hired a magician. And let me tell you, these kids went absolutely apeshit for this guy. He pulled a pigeon out of his hat, which was gross, then drank a gallon of milk, which somehow was less gross than the pigeon, and then he said something softly that I couldn't hear but clearly got the kids' attention. He waved them in close, showed them a coin, and then, with a wave of his hand, made it disappear. It was probably the least impressive thing he'd done, but the kids were raptured, and I didn't know why until I saw what he did next. He went around handing out coins to every member of the group, and then he taught all the kids how to make the coin disappear too. He had them practice on each other, and then the party ended. That was the grand finale, and it couldn't have gone better. The kids all sprinted back to their parents to show how they could make a coin disappear. I happened to be walking Ruby maybe 20 minutes later as the magician finished packing up his stuff, and I couldn't help but go say hello. 
I told him that giving the kids the coin as a gift was incredibly kind. They clearly loved it. As I was saying it, I realized how creepy it sounded that I'd been watching from my patio, but I figured this guy was a magician, so whatever. Then he smiled and said, the coins aren't a gift. These coins are how I get more business. My phone number and website is on each one. Nearly 100% of my business comes from a parent calling the number on the coin. What he learned long ago, he said, was that kids like to watch Magic Shore, but what they really want is to be a magician, to have a secret, and then to teach other people that secret. It's not all that fun just seeing someone else with a secret. You want to know what's behind the curtain. So the coins are always around because the kids love doing the trick, and then when it's time for a birthday, boom, the parents remember me. And when they call, they all say to make sure to teach the kids the coin trick. I've bought thousands of these coins over the years. Then he got into an Uber XL and drove off. I guess the coin thing is working. The secret the magician knew was how to make a coin disappear. And to kids, this couldn't be more valuable, which means to parents, he couldn't be more valuable. He knew what his value truly was, and it wasn't him performing. It was helping the kids perform. That's what separated him, and he built his whole business around it. For you, knowing that value, knowing what people really pay for and share has to be your North Star. Then you design your whole product and business around it. So how do you find out what that is? Let's try an example. I've been pitched a bunch of versions of non-alcoholic drinks. The space is super interesting solely because of the now very obvious up and to the right trend of the non-alcoholic market. Plus, it seems like there's at least a somewhat realistic path to getting acquired in the food and beverage space. PepsiCo just took a $550 million stake of Celsius, an energy drink you probably haven't heard of, and the niche in craft energy, kombucha, beer, and alcohol brands have been snapped up like hotcakes the past decade. Growing market plus clear path to exit leads to ideas and funding and me getting lots of pitches for non-alcoholic aperitifs. Lots of founders think that the key to a good non-alcoholic aperitif is the taste. It likely isn't. It's definitely one small part of the value story, the thing's got to taste good, but lots of things taste good. What's the actual value you're creating? What matters? What would people pay you to do for them? Here's a pitch I got for a non-alcoholic Aperol spritz sold in a White Claw-like can. Quote, a non-alcoholic Aperol spritz made with botanical extracts that lead to a more complex and refreshing taste minus the hangover. Zero sugar, zero alcohol. What do you think? Is there a secret here? Is the customer clear? Is there value? Who's this for? When? Why? People never do anything without a specific reason for doing it. If you don't give them one, they'll be wallpaper. If you don't solve a problem, they'll be wallpaper. They simply won't notice you. Is this something that people would pay money for? An Aperol spritz without the hangover? Would someone hire you for a few hundred bucks to make them non-alcoholic Aperol spritzes because they didn't want a hangover? Who? Why? When? These questions might seem tough for a two-sentence pitch, and they are, but that's what you get. This type of ambiguity is present when the entrepreneur doesn't know what the value actually is, when they aren't clear why someone would buy or who. So many founders think people will try something for the sake of trying it, but that'll literally never happen for you. Not once. You need to solve problems, you need to have value. And this pitch, though I'm being hard on it, feels pretty middling to me straddling the non-alcoholic world without taking any sort of a stance. The other day in a group chat, a friend asked for a movie recommendation to watch with his wife as they'd just gotten their kid down for the night early. 
One of my other friends sent a movie with the Rotten Tomatoes link. It had scored a 74%. My friend responded, I don't have time for anything that's not either a 0 to 10% or a 90 to 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Basically, he wants things that are so bad they're memorable or so good they're memorable. The non-alcoholic Aperol Spritz is a 74% and I don't know what to do with that. So, what can we do? First, we've got to drill down on the value, which means understand who's involved, who's looking for a non-alcoholic spritz, and why. What are their other options, and why are those options so, so bad? I think about value in three ways. The need, the gap, and the swap. For there to be value, someone needs to need the outcome of what you've made. Them plus your product equals something really important to them. The gap refers to how bad the status quo is for this person now, how far away whatever their current solution is from where they want to be. And finally, the swap, how easy it'd be for them to try something new and how likely they would be to do it. When I first started making the podcast, I edited it myself through iMovie. It was terrible. It took hours. If I stuttered or repeated myself or made too many weird 90s movie references, I'd have to look at an audio file and try and figure out which parts I was supposed to delete. I'd never do it right, and I'd have to listen to the same section over and over and over with a fine-tooth comb, deleting tenths of a second until it sounded normal. There were lots of other options for editing, but nearly all were for professional audio people with 100x more features than I needed or knew what to do with and costing 100x more than I was willing to pay. The learning curves were enormous. Then a product called Descript came out. Their pitch was that they would transcribe the audio file and then I would edit the transcription rather than the audio file itself. If I wanted to delete a word, I would just highlight it on the transcript and click delete. I remember seeing that pitch and literally sprinting downstairs to get my wallet to buy it. It could have been a thousand dollars a month and I wouldn't have cared. I think it cost 50 and I laughed at it. For me, the need was huge. I'd committed to a podcast and I needed to edit it. The gap was cavernous. The difference between me editing an iMovie and this new editing in a transcript literally saved me hours. And the swap was simple. It was easy for me to upload my audio files. It took two seconds. And the market of people who had a podcast that they were prioritizing at the time tended to be early adopters. There was no doubt that I would switch and try new software. So I pushed the Aperol Spritz founder. Tell me about the need and tell me about why it's so strong. Tell me about the gap. Tell me why it's enormous. And tell me about the swap and why it's simple. And tell it to me in terms of one specific person. This tends to be a lot easier. Pick your best possible customer and tell me their story. She did. It turns out that her best customer, one who's actually been begging her for the product, was a woman in Southern California who had young kids. Her kids had playdates every weekend, and these events nearly always served alcohol. But she was trying to drink less. So she started making her own versions of non-alcoholic drinks and bringing them along in a mason jar. This was, of course, a pain in the ass because she had to buy ingredients for them, she had to actually make them, she had to bring the jar, she had to track down the jar at the end. It was always a little bit awkward having the jar there and either pouring it into a glass or drinking directly out of the jar. The Aperol Spritz in a can, the non-alcoholic version, would theoretically make this easier. The value, the entrepreneur said, was being able to drink something refreshing that sort of looked like what everyone else was drinking while staying healthy and present and not having a hangover. The secret was the drink itself. I wasn't sold. I guess we're getting closer, I said, but still, what was the exact need? 
What was she hiring the non-alcoholic Aperol spritz in a can to do? What were the alternatives and why were they so bad? Why would it be an obvious swap out situation for her? The entrepreneur started brainstorming. Maybe it allowed her to still feel like part of the group, but be present for her kids later. Maybe everyone had two drinks and she just wanted one, so she'd do one spritz and then one secret non-alcoholic spritz and no one would know. Maybe she wanted to be the friend that showed up with the cool non-alcoholic cocktail. The value, the outcome, needed more. We just needed to know the customer a little bit better. The entrepreneur is working on it. If you've got a product before you have the value nailed down, you need to work backwards a bit. This can be tough and it can be intimidating, but it happens a ton and it needs to be done. Fixing the value is a minor problem in the short run, but if you don't fix it, it becomes a huge problem in the long run. If the value isn't clear, if there isn't a need, a gap, and an easy swap, you're going to make things really hard on yourself and you're going to build something that nobody wants. Start by identifying the value and then build a product that supports it. If you don't have an idea or want to play around with a new one, try to make a thousand bucks today or next week. Tell me how it goes. A buttery soft t-shirt is coming your way if you do. And if you'd like to flesh out and build your startup idea with us at Tacklebox, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. We'll let you know in 72 hours. We can be knee deep in your business by the weekend. And finally, if you like the pod, a rating and a review goes a long way. That's how people find us. Have a great week.